You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Play fake, going to roll right, dumps it off into the right flat to Michael Bumpus, who bounces off a of one tackler, gets inside the 40 down to the 35-yard line. Powered by Seahawks.com. Matt Pumpfakes looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus, and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Now, here's your host, Nasa Chobi. Welcome to another edition of Hawk Talk. The Seahawks fall to the Falcons 27 to 23 in a really entertaining game yesterday at Lumen Field. Unfortunately, the Seahawks didn't have quite enough to get it done in the end as Geno Smith was intercepted on a fourth and 18 to seal the victory for the Falcons. But like we do every week, we get things started breaking it down with Ray Roberts in the trenches. It's time to go inside the trenches with former Seahawk Ray Roberts. Big Ray, that was a tough one, man. That was a tough one in a game where the Seahawks felt like they played well enough to win. They had more yards, ran more plays, won the turnover battle, time of possessions. Unfortunately, they couldn't get it done. What were your biggest takeaways from the game yesterday? Well, to be honest with you, one of the biggest takeaways is just how good the offense looked and how well uh, Dino ran this concept of opening up the offense. Like, we didn't know exactly what they meant by that. When they said it, if that meant they were going to take a bunch of deep shots to DK and Tyler, or if it just meant they were going to run more plays out of their playbook. And I think they did a good job of showing us more plays out of their playbook and their ability to take shots and, and trust D, uh, DK uh, and, you know, 50-50 balls and then trust that Gino was going to protect the ball. He played really efficiently, ran the offense well. The, they're running the ball good. It's, unfortunately, those little things, those little foxes that come to, to ruin the vine, holding calls, penalties, you know, those types of things uh, kind of put the, put them in a position where they're having to play from behind down the stretch and wasn't able to pull it out. You mentioned the Seahawks opening up the offense a little bit and how Geno Smith played. What did you see from the guys up front? Did, did that affect them in any way? I know they only gave up two sacks on the ball game, and unfortunately are both on that final drive. They overcame one of them, weren't able to overcome the second. Um, what did you see from them up front, and do you think this uh, bodes well for those guys up front opening this offense a little bit? Yeah, so I've always been a uh, believer that the play call also actually and the offensive design adds tools to your toolbox as an offensive lineman because it gives you different angles and different sets and different uh, uh, leverage points and stuff that you're attacking the defender that makes the defender then have to think a little bit. When the defenders are great when they go like, oh, this dude, this is, this is a run formation. I'm going to get geared up for the run formation every time I know how to attack it. This is going to be a pass. I'm gonna, he's going to set in the same spot every time I know how to, how to attack that. But when you're able to have uh, – you're moving the pocket, you're dropping back, you're throwing screens, you're throwing uh, three-yard, you know, three-step drop backs, you're running fly sweep, you're running stretch, you're running you know, split zone more downhill – it just, it just adds more to my toolbox as an offensive lineman. And so that's what I've been begging for for the last couple of years. And these first few games, I've started to see that this last game, you saw even more of that. So if you're an offensive lineman, uh, you have to feel pretty good with how the offense has been called and the types of plays that they're running. Now it's just a matter of like everybody now just kind of increasing their game by like 10 to 15 to 20%. So you, so instead of a guy kind of being on the edge, those six inches and making a tackle for a two yard game, you have them fully covered up, and that two-yard game becomes a five- or six- or seven-yard game. So I really like the way the, the game was called yesterday, just from a production perspective and just from a enjoyment and excitement perspective, but also from the tools that it adds to the toolbox for the offensive line. 
Hey, Ray, one of the more un unfortunate plays um, was the holding by Damian Lewis late in the game. Now, I don't want you to talk about this just to highlight how it hurt, but just to kind of explain to people how tough that is to be in space and make that block because you hear a lot of people just get your hands inside, don't do this, don't do that, but I don't think they realize the timing and the technique that it takes to execute that play. Yeah, especially when you know, you're know you a, a bigger dude, you know, you're 300 and some pounds, you're out there trying to be an athlete with a a linebacker or a safety. And so a lot of times, you know, you're just trying to get your hands somewhere within the framework of the numbers or the shoulders. And in that situation, you're out there, you've already kind of um, uh, faced up the defender and they're, they're kind of just kind of holding each other at first, kind of like, Hey, what's going to happen? You're as an offensive line, you're trying to figure out because you don't know what's going on behind you. You're kind of figuring out what the, how the defender's going to react. So you can then finish the block. Well, just as the ball came, as the runner was coming, the defender kind of pulled back, which then makes the cloth uh, uh, stretch out a little bit. And then that's what the holding call is called right there. And so his hands were in perfect place. Any other place on the field, if you're like in the, in the, the two yards of the line of scrimmage, that's not even a holding call. If, especially if you're standing right in front of him and you're pushing straight back. If he was getting outside the frame of your body and then you're kind of like trying to pull him and stop him from going somewhere, that's what a that's what the hold is. But in this situation, it was just a matter of when he when the defender gave up uh, pressure, and then when uh, and then when the offensive player applied that pressure, it was just a just that space in between created the stretch of the jersey, which then created the holding call. Yeah, that's a really tough call because the Seahawks, I'm confident the Seahawks were going to win that game at that moment. You, They would have had the ball at like the 10 or the 8-yard line. They would have been first down. You're down four points. Geno had things rolling. So really tough to see that from uh, Damian Lewis. You feel for him because, you know, he's been battling through some injuries, and that was a tough way to go there. Now sticking with the offensive line and up front, the run game, Rashad Penny, 66 yards on 14 carries, came out the gates on fire. Two really hard-nosed runs. You liked what you see there. Unfortunately, you know, he still didn't get 14 carries. is a decent amount number, but what do you see in general from the run game, how they mix in DJ Dallas, and is that a stepping stone that they can build on going uh, against Detroit next week? This, I would say that the running game, dogs, is like, it is a step away from being what we saw in the last five games of last year. Like you, like for you know the last five games, I thought like, eh, you know maybe they're playing teams that aren't aren't like really driving, you know, driving for the playoffs. And at the end of the season, and they just caught some dudes in good good positions to great to great to gain a lot of yards. But what I've seen so far this year in the limited amount of carries that Rashad Penny has had, that same thing can happen. This this offensive line is a very good run blocking offensive line when they are the basis of what they're doing is going vertical like getting downhill fast, getting the shoulder pads of the, the lineman and the running back pointing towards the goal line. That's when they make their most hate. And that's when Rashad Penny sees his eyes, see the biggest, um, his, he's able to see the, the, the places where he should go best. When he's like running like the outside zone and everyone's shoulders are kind of turned towards the sideline, he doesn't get to see half the, half the field. And so I think it limits his ability. And so I love what I see, what they're doing in the running game and the way they're mixing it up. They had some traditional counters where they're pulling the backside guard and the backside uh, tackle. They had some where they're using the, the, the tight ends, you know, on the front side and pulling them. And so I love the variety of what they're doing with the running game. I just wish they would do it more. Like, I, I swear to you, if, if Richard Penny would have had 19 carries, I think they probably win that game by eight or nine points. But he had 14, you know, and, and that was one of my keys to the game was that he needed to have more than 15 carries. 
And so I don't know if it's just a matter of them uh, trying to protect him physically to get through the season, but at some point I think they need to push him past that threshold. Uh, you know, he didn't play much in the preseason, push him past that threshold of 15, 16, 17 carries, and then just let him do what he's doing. He was just warming up. And I think the offensive line, like I told you guys during the postgame, when you get so jacked up when, when you're running the ball like that, it just makes everything else better. So I'm excited about what the offense can be, what we saw this past week, and then what I'm hoping they're going to do, you know, moving forward. Right, let's talk about this defense. And I think your perspective is important in this because you are an offensive lineman and we look at this box and the way this D line is playing. I'm talking about the Seahawks and these linebackers are playing and it seems like they're not in attack mode. They're not downhill. Are there a few tweaks that you see that you say, all right, man, if this defense could just fix this or fix that, they would be even better because they flash at times. And now it's about just, just playing consistent. Is there something that, that you see that they can do better that will help them next week against the lions? Yeah, I think I don't know if it was Turbo or maybe one of the guys they interviewed in the locker room after the game, but someone said uh, the learning the the plays in a way that you can play fast because you have like these tremendous athletes, right? But if you watch the plays where they're struggling, it's because the technique isn't quite right, or the your body wasn't you wasn't taking the right angle, or someone didn't fill the gap, you know, at the at the right time. So those are all coachable, fixable things. And then I think that's because, like, there was one time I think Cody Barton, both times, I saw Cody Barton attacking the edge and I saw Jordan Brooks attacking the edge. And I think I tried to explain this last night, but if the defender is coming towards me and I attack his inside shoulder with my outside shoulder, he's going to have the outside leverage. And that's what they were doing a lot. But you, as a defender, you want to attack his outside shoulder with your inside shoulder. Then that way you have the outside leverage. That makes me the runner more than likely is going to have to turn back inside to where all the bad dudes are. So it's just like a matter of six inches is the difference between setting the edge and making a tackle for a minimal game to versus not setting the edge and it being a 40-yard touchdown run. And so I, I think those are the little things that the, uh, that the defense needs to correct. And then, quite frankly, there's just some dudes that just need to find a way to be more productive. You know, Daryl Taylor, uh, you know, to me, I was excited about what he was going to bring to the table this year. Haven't quite seen it yet. But Daryl Johnson Jr. has come in well. Mafe has come in and played well. And so it's going to be interesting to see that combination of, of players and what they do uh, moving forward. And then I think last yesterday uh, you saw Jordan starting to make more tackles around the line of scrimmage, and Cody was a little bit more around the line of scrimmage. So those guys, not only just being super athletic, but being physical, not saying that they have to, like, go blow up uh, like Cam Chancellor did with uh, the, the, the guard from San Francisco and darn near knocked him out. Like, you don't need to beat that dude, you know what I'm saying? But you got to be a little bit more physical in your play so that so your athleticism can then be a strength and a disadvantage to the, to the offense. Gotcha, Ray. So building off that, last question for you. The Seahawks are playing your old former team, so this is a big Ray <laughs> Roberts matchup, the Lions and the Seahawks. Now, typically after the Seahawks would lose two games, which doesn't happen not very often around here, we would talk about your thing, a get-right game. Well, mm-hmm. a get-right game is usually against a team where you feel like you're definitely favored and you should absolutely win. This is a game I think the Seahawks should win, but Detroit's playing good football. They've, they're one and two, but they've been in every game. They've blown a couple of leads. What have you seen from Detroit, and how can the Seahawks uh, look to build off what they did uh, against Atlanta, against these Lions? Well, the, the one thing that I've seen more than anything is buy-in. When, when Dan Campbell first came and he did the whole press conference about 
biting people's knees off and stuff. It was just like, what? Like, what are you talking about? But, uh, but his style and his toughness and his kind of in your face, uh, kind of attitude, which is kind of reflective of the city of Detroit, the team is bought into. And so they play that way. They, they play like you're going to have to like bring your lunch pail and, and an all day sucker. If you're going to fight, if you're going to play them, because they're going to play until the last whistle whether they're winning or losing or, or tied up or you're going overtime or whatever it is. And so I think the Seahawks are going to have to be able to match that. They've done a pretty good job of creating like a, almost like a no-name defense. they got dudes that are effective and good and can get after the quarterback and make tackles and, and cover. And then they have an offense that uh, is developing a really good running game. If, if Seattle is going to have to really bone up uh, for the running game because they do a lot of like those multiple tight end sets. They do a lot of pre-snap shifts so they can gain either the numbers advantage to the running side or the angle advantage. And so there's going to have to be a lot of communication, a lot of dudes using proper technique to keep this running game in check. You know, they have um, um, uh, the dude Williams and then the guy from – what's the other running back from Georgia? Swift. Swift, yeah. Uh, and Swift is kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He can do it all. He can run. He can run routes. He's a good blocker. And then, and then golf – you know, we've played him when he was with the Rams. And the, when he's able to move the pocket and use play-action pass, uh, he could be an effective quarterback. So I think they're going to have to come prepared to be assignment, alignment and assignment strong and just be ready to fight the entire game. All right. I hope you're right, Big Ray. Big Ray, the Ph.D. in offensive line play. Anytime yes, you sir. need to figure out some stuff up front, we get Big Ray Roberts a call. So, Big Ray, appreciate you, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. You guys have a good one, man. Holler back. See you. All right, Seahawks once again fall to the Falcons 27 23. Time for what had happened. See what had happened at first. Was. <laughs> what happened was. What had happened was. On Hawk Talk. It was entertaining, bump. I'll say that. It was an entertaining yep. football game. If you're in the stadium, it was rocking, it was loud. If you're watching on TV, it was entertaining. Unfortunately, from a Seahawks perspective, didn't go the Seahawks' way. However, things started pretty good, especially offensively. They opened up the game with their longest drive of the season at the time, going 11 plays for 61 yards, which ended in a Jason Myers field goal, but it kind of just showed you where they were going. Things were clicking. You can tell right from the gate, Rashad Penny hits a couple nice runs. It just Everything just felt smooth. It felt like Shane Waldron from the jump called a great game yesterday. They started out that way, ending in a field goal. The Falcons would come back and answer with a seven-play, 68-yard drive, ending with a Mariota touchdown. And both drives kind of showed how the game was going to go a little bit. The Seahawks were moving the ball. The Falcons were also moving the ball and kind of showed a precursor for later in the game with all the big plays that they had. But both teams started off pretty good moving football. Yeah, both teams start off doing their thing. You saw Marcus Mariota get guys involved. He scores a touchdown. You talk about Geno doing his thing as well after that. Uh, the Seahawks answer with a six-play, 74-yard drive. And guess who they find? Uncle Will Disley. That's always a good sign. Get these tight ends going. Before that, they found Kobe Parkinson like a 36-yard game. So on the same drive, uh, they found the tight ends. And I think that's something when we think about opening up this offense and you hear Pete Carroll saying that, that's one of the things I, I think about is getting these tight ends involved. Um, can they continue to do that? We shall see, but it's nice to feel like this is part of their offense. Absolutely. Love seeing in that same drive, Fant, Parkinson, Disley, all had receptions, which is great. And as the game kept moving on the field, the Falcons would get a a field goal. The Seahawks would punt. Then the Falcons would go on a nine play, 89 yard drive, ending with a 17 yard touchdown run by Cordero Patterson and bum Patterson just killed the Seahawks all day long. Finished the game with 141 rush yards, 17 carries, 
We talked about him on the preview podcast that he was a dangerous guy, a guy that played receiver who was really only in his second year at running back. He's a tall dude, wears number 84. But he had things going yesterday. He was tough to tackle. He had a ton of explosive plays. And that really hurt the the Seahawks, you know, defensively was Cordo Patterson. But just like the game was going back and forth, Seahawks would answer with a long touchdown drive of their own, ending with a DK Metcalf touchdown, which was the first touchdown of the season, which would tie the game at 17-17. Seahawks would kick a field goal going into half up 2017. And when we did the halftime show bump, it felt good. It felt like the Seahawks were in control. They were giving up some big plays defensively, but it was a really good, good half of football from an offensive standpoint. They went field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, field goal. And that's as, that's as good as you can have it going scoring on four of your first drives. Yeah, and it's in to have you got Tariq Woolen with a nice interception. It's, it's nice to get two seven involved. They're also getting DK's first touchdown. What I liked about them getting DK's first touchdown is that they did it in a way that, that we haven't seen. They line him up in a nasty split, get him nice and tight, have a receiver wrap around him. He runs a fade. DK works the seam. So now you got him working on the linebacker initially, and now you got that safety in a, in a two-way go. And Gino throws the ball high right where he only knows DK can get that thing. Then coming out the half, Drake London gets involved, the guy at USC. He was one of the guys that I, I highlighted before this game because dude was a baller, simple as that. Uh, number five did his thing, broke a couple of tackles, but the, um, the Falcons up 27 to 23. Man, and going into the fourth quarter, you know, the Seahawks offensively, they just it's kind of been a theme this year. Whether they have things going in the first half or not, it's not a lot of possessions in the second half. Yeah, The Seahawks had three real possessions in the second half. Um, going into the fourth quarter, they had a golden opportunity because the Falcons on a, on a kind of a zone read exchange, uh, Mariota's trying to keep the ball. They fumble it. The Seahawks recover. Uchenna gets that football. And you're thinking, okay, okay, the Seahawks are in business, getting the ball right. back, down four points with five minutes left in the game. And typically, you know, Pete Carroll teams throughout the years, this is winning time. You know what I'm saying? And it felt that way. The drive, the Seahawks were moving the football, and we alluded to it with Ray earlier. Comeback looked promising. Geno Smith hits Rashad Penny on a screenplay, gets four, a 14-yard gain all the way down about the Falcons' 10-yard line. You're thinking Seahawks are going to be in business. First in goal, down four. Unfortunately, Damian Lewis gets flagged for a holding, and it felt kind of ticky-tack, but Pete Carroll talked about it this morning. It was a hold, and it's just tough to see that get called. Unfortunately, it happened. Then Geno gets sacked, and then the game came down to essentially a 4th and 18 uh, desperation heave from Geno Smith that got intercepted by Richard Grant of the Falcons. Um, and anyone who's upset about that, come on, man. There's no play for fourth and 18. Let me just put that out there. Like some of the things yeah. I saw, like, come on, man, that's, that's just a bad take. Gino played really well. Gino played well. And, you know, there's a lot of positive you can take from that game bump, but, uh, just uh, unfortunate did not get enough done, but let's take a look at who made plays. Touchdown Seahawks! Playmakers. All right, first playmaker, of course, is Geno Smith, 32 of 44, 325, two touchdowns, one interception that you described. It's like you got to throw the football there. You can't take a sack. All right, your your best best chance just to throw it up and let one of your guys have a chance that it didn't work out for him. He completed 72% of his passes. This is only the third game that he's thrown for over 300 yards. First time since 2014. Geno Smith is the best offensive player right now. Now, there are there are guys with more talent. You got DK, you got Lockie, you got Rashad. We saw Ken Walker get involved. You look at the tight ends, the O-line. But when you look at what's making this offense go right now, you have to look at Geno Smith. First two weeks, he's over 80% completion rate. And 
you feel like he's in control of this offense. Now it's unfortunate the way they ended the game. You got a penalty on Damien. You got, he takes a sack there and then he's forced to throw it up. But for three weeks, I look at this man operate and I feel confident that he's not going to do anything to lose this team, the game. If anything, he gives more opportunities. So Geno Smith, man, kudos to him. People counting him out. And um, he's proven the doubt is wrong. Yep, well, as he said, he didn't write back, which is being trademarked, by the way. Gino knows what's going on. Trying Good to get for that him. Money. Get that back. But, yeah, through three <laughs> games, um, Gino still holds the NFL uh, lead in completion percentage, number one in the league at 77.5%, and he's seventh in QB rating at 100.8. So he's still doing his thing, and I like what you said, Bump. He gives you the trust that Pete Carroll and everyone should have in him, and he's shown it. He's, he's putting this team in positions to win offensively, so I'd love to see that. And then Mr. Reliable, 16, number right. one in your hearts, Tyler Lockett. Nine receptions, 76 yards on 11 targets. Always consistent when it's reception to target ratio. And, boy, he earned every yard that day, man. He was getting hit. He was doing everything yeah. he could. He kind of came down weird on his elbow, shoulder. It seemed like uh, Pete talked about him having a stinger. And once any time you see the arm kind of dangling down, anyone who's played football is like, yep, I know exactly what he's feeling mm-hmm. right now. That arm is numb, shooting all the way up the shoulder. Just got to shake it off and lock it's tough as hell, man. So there's no no worries there. But Tyler's still doing his thing. He's still a big part of this offense. So love to see it. He's Mr. Intermediate, Mr. Across the Middle, Mr. Consistent, not the biggest guy, but very reliable. Glad he is okay. Uh, Next guy, DK Metcalf, five receptions, 64 yards, one touchdown on 12 targets. Now he passes Brian Blaze for fourth place for the most receiving yards in a player's first four seasons in Seahawk history. But I think what I really want to point out is just the emphasis they had on getting this man the ball. Yes, he had five receptions, but he had 12 targets. And there were a couple of times where they threw him the 50-50 football. And I think that's what they needed to add to this offense because you have a weapon like DK Metcalf over there. I saw him in a slot. I saw him outside. I saw him run deep across the middle. Everything they could do to design plays to at least get him in different spots on the field, they did that. Now, he might not have had the completion percentage that Lockett has, but what he did do, he put stuff on film. So there's more stuff for teams to worry about, more for them to prepare for, and it just opens up um, his portfolio. He's not just an outside guy. He can do some things from the slot. So it didn't work out the way the Hawks wanted to, but they got him his first touchdown. They got him 12 targets, and they moved him around. That's going to help this offense going forward. Yeah, love to see it. And I think a couple of them, uh, one of them on the side, and if I recall, was just a little bit underthrown. You'd like for Gino to get a little more air under that because anytime anytime you look out and you see, you've mentioned this a million times, DK one-on-one coverage on the corner and the safety in the middle of the field. Please throw it. Yeah, and just give him a chance. Throw it up there high, just like he did on the touchdown. So I'd love to see it from DK. And then we talked about it earlier, the tight ends. It's been a lot of topic of conversation for years now about getting the tight ends involved. And I finally feel like this season it's happening. We're seeing production from Will Disley. We're seeing production from Colby Parkinson. We're seeing Noah Fan get involved a little bit. Um, we touched, we talked about it a little bit earlier on that touchdown drive. Each one of them had a reception. They each had an explosive play in the game. So love to see what the tight ends are doing. I think they're an important part of this offense moving forward. And when you talk about the Seahawks being multiple and stuff like that, those guys need to be a factor in the game. And we'll, we'll get into Will Disley's touchdown a little bit later, but love to see what the tight ends are doing. Love it, man. When you get the tight ends going, that means your play action is working. Because a lot of the times, look at Colby's um, touchdown, it's off a play action. Oh, we'll break down Will Disley touchdown. That was was beautiful. Um, I love what Disley did there. But, yes, tight ends are versatile. Love to see it. Daryl Taylor, three tackles, one QB hit in his first sack of the 2022 season. You like to see it, man. I think you came out with a bold prediction and said he's going to have like 10 to 12 sacks 
this yeah, year. I I said so, hey, 11 away. Yep, He's 11 yep, away yep. now. Let's go. You got to get this guy going, man. Not only is he going to provide a pressure on the quarterback, but he's the guy that's has contained that can force things inside when they try to run that outside zone or that stretch look to his side. I think the more he gets comfortable in this offense, the more he understands his role, the more we're going to see games like this, three tackles, one QB hit and one sack. Yeah, I think it's the tip of the iceberg for for Daryl Taylor. We saw a little bit last year, and I think it's just getting adjusted to this 3-4 defense and being asked to do different stuff, I feel like, than he's been asked to do in the past, quite frankly. So I think we're going to see DT get it going, just like we've seen Uchenna be productive. We've seen Daryl Johnson be productive. There's a lot of guys that could contribute. Love to see from him. And then the rookie man, Tariq Woolen, four tackles, one pass offense, first interception of his career. Shout out to Big Ray, who called that in the pregame, came to fruition, and, man, Tariq is just – the sky's the limit for that dude. We had him on Hawks Live last week, and he's just a good dude. He, he's someone that um, you just see the potential in. Can't teach 4 two, six. Can't right. teach that 6-4 wingspan. And then his speed and technique, and he just nearly missed a, uh, a crossing route across the middle, was a little behind, but you saw the closing speed, and he just barely missed it by an inch or two. So Tariq's going to do really good things, and he's a guy that I look to see in this segment, quite frankly, for most of the rest of this year. Now, we've talked about some of the receivers bump, but tell me what stands out when you look at the box score when we're looking at the receivers and everyone who caught passes yesterday. There's a lot of names in that box score. Right? You got Penny Hart had a reception. He's been good on special teams, doesn't get enough love. You got Marquise Goodwin had two for 31, one big catch on a fourth down. We mentioned the Titans getting involved. You got DJ Dallas with two for 17. Ken Walker had three for 14. He also had an impressive play on a jet sweep where he gained 20, 21 yards. And then you got Rashad Penny for three. So you look at every position that was capable of catching a football, caught a football. Obviously the receivers got going, you got the tight ends involved and you get the running backs, not, not only the starting running back, but the backup running back, you got the backup receivers getting involved. So the more the merrier, man, keep spreading that football around. And this offense has the potential to put up 24 to 25 points a game. Easy. No question about it. This offense is definitely, this is just the beginning. I think Shane Waldron had it cooking yesterday. We talked about it. He's the man right now. And I feel like, I think, what was it? Was it Gino who said it game where he was like, man, Shane was on it. It was play yeah. after play. It was this or that. So when a, when a quarterback feels that way, that the offensive coordinator is calling a game that can get them to the right spots, things are, things are definitely looking up for the Seahawks. Well, now we alluded to it that Will Disley touched down in the coach's corner because, as Bump said, it was a thing of beauty. Empty backfield on second and 13. Gino negotiates the blitz down the middle. Touchdown, Seahawks. Great protection for Gino. He waited, waited, and Will Disley comes open at the goal line. Gino fires a shot, and the Seahawks score their first touchdown in six quarters, and they retake the lead at 9-7. to seven. All right, man, this is a great play design and a, a timely call as well. They catch the uh, Atlanta Falcons in a, in a Mike blitz right here. That's the middle linebacker blitzing, but you're in an empty formation. You got two receivers up top. You got three down to the bottom, two tight ends and Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny's that number one receiver. Number two is Colby. And then you have Will Disley in the traditional tight end set, but he's in a two point stance instead of a three point stance. Like I mentioned the Mike blitzes. So I think Gino sees that he goes, there's a couple places I can go with this football. I believe that's DK in the slot up top. He runs a little shallow. So he occupies the the place that that Mike um, vacates, but it's really what happens on the bottom with Will Disley and Kobe Parkinson. 
Parkinson does a good job just running a nice little speed out. What that does, it pulls that that Mike or Sam with him, opening up that space that the Mike vacated even more. Here's what Will Disley does to help out. He stems at that same backer that Colby is pulling with him with that speed out. So it looks like a bench combination. We call that a double out, a bench combination. Bam, that backer continues to get wide. But what Disley does is he snaps it up, and he's going right up the middle with that two-safety look. That's part – That's the the soft spot on that defense down below Rashad Penny is just running to go so you got to go on the bottom you got the two tight ends getting wide those safeties are naturally going to split Gino now throws a ball a perfect football right on time right out of the reach of that safety that was on the side of Uncle Will and Colby and it's a bang bang play like if he holds the ball a split second longer, this does not happen. Good play design. I wonder if Shane Waldron knew, okay, in this situation, when it's second and long, this is the defense they like to play. This is the blitz they like to dial up. So he called it. Bam, touchdown, good guys. Yeah, I feel like they schemed him up a little bit, and you alluded to it at the beginning. So when Colby goes out to the flat and Will Disley stems that backer outside, it's just one step because the linebacker 44 for the Falcons actually doesn't play this horribly. He's he gets influenced and he takes one step to his left and that's too much for him to recover. Like you said, Geno Smith, a dime on it because I mean he he gets his hand, he just barely misses it. So that's a great play and execution all around from Geno, from Kobe Parkinson, and from Will Disley. And those are the kind of things you love to see, man. When when everything works out the way it's supposed to, protection yeah. holds up, guys run their outs, you know to what they're supposed to do to influence different guys. And you just love to see it's perfection almost. So I want to see Uncle Will catching more touchdowns. I want to see more of those things. But unfortunately, Bump, this week, the clock just ran out. A knee taken by Hundley. They're just going to let the clock wind down. Pete's not even going to bother taking that last time out. That box score, Bump, second week in a row. It hasn't looked great, but this was the one that was weird because this week it kind of felt like, okay, if I'm just looking at the box score and I just look at offense, I'm thinking, well, the Seahawks. They won the game on paper, Nass. They won the game on paper. Time of possession, ran more plays, 69 to 54, outgained them 420 to 386. They also won the turnover battle. Those are the ones you check off and you assume the Seahawks win big. The only thing that stood out in the box score against the Seahawks was the amount of rush yards I gave up to the Falcons and, and it was, it was just tough, but the, ah, it, you just feel weird looking at it. You're like, man, there's good things that come from it. That's why it's hard for me to be negative today because there's so much good that happened in the game yesterday. Yes. It's a loss. Yes. You don't want to learn lessons and losses, but for me, everything that came out of it, I just, I, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged after that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think Pete is too. I heard him earlier today in one of his, uh, his interviews. He goes, look, that was a good game. And it was a good game. And if you look at this game without your Seahawk lenses on, right, and you're just a consumer of football, one, you're going to leave the game saying that was a good game. Both teams played well. They competed. Then you're going to look at these stats and say, man, 420 yards on offense, took care of the football, possessed the rock. Like the Hawks are moving in the right direction. You know what I mean? I think because of the history of this organization and some expectations of folks, they look at this loss and all they can think of is the negative. You want to win ball games. I understand that, but look at the progression of this offense. Defense has to fix some things as well. And these guys are moving in the right direction. What's unfortunate is they only scored three points in the second half. Um, and you need more than that, right? Yeah. You got to be able to continue to put pressure on defenses, but end of the day, they had a chance to win the game. 
Yep. They had a chance. Unfortunately, the Seahawks fell short. 27 to 23, the Atlanta Falcons fall into one and two on the season. But listen up, man. The NFC West, there's three teams that are one and two. The Rams are two and one. So there's definitely a lot of room for the Seahawks to improve. They're taking on Detroit this Sunday, bright and early. Michael Bumpus and I will be back with you on Wednesday for a preview of the Detroit Lions. Until next time, Michael Bumpus, I'm Nasa Chobi. This has been Hawk Talk. You can catch us anywhere. Seahawks.com. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher on SiriusXM and more. We'll be back with you on Wednesday for another edition of Hawk Talk.